heard pain tell love, she said, where would I be without you? Chapter 4 Pain comes, and you find a way to build your world around it. Midweek, Hecate's mirror chimes. She answers the call and is greeted by Pippa's smile. Pippa inquires after her well-being and reports that the last batch of Hecate's potion came out just as well as the first. On Saturday, she calls again, asks after her again with the same warmth in her eyes, and apologizes that she won't be able to visit this weekend. Perhaps that's presumptuous of me, she says self-deprecatingly after the apology, flapping a hand awkwardly, assuming that I... No, Hecate interrupts, unable to bear the thought of Pippa belittling herself in any way or of Pippa thinking Hecate wouldn't want her here. No, I... I'm grateful, she says, for lack of better words for her feelings. Anything more is too much, too dangerous. She has already bared so much to the other witch. She's afraid if she keeps opening herself up, there will be nothing left. Nothing but the raw ache, the gaping want. Because she loves Pippa, because, for the past week, she has slept with the phantom of Pippa's fingers, gentle against her scalp, and, on one terrifying occasion, with the slither of water droplets that became Pippa's hand, ghosting across her shoulders, her breasts, her ribs. But she isn't willing to let Pippa go again, not for anything, because Pippa's magic, nestled inside of her, reminds her throughout the day that after all this time, Pippa somehow feels like home. Because she feels safe beneath the weight of Pippa's touch, comfortable in the curl of her smile. The following Wednesday, Hecate magics her hair into a bun unintentionally, and doesn't actually register that she's done it until she goes to twist it up and out of the way by hand a few minutes later. She stares down at her empty hands for several seconds when she does realize it, pausing her routine to take stock of her body and how she feels. No different than she did five, ten, twenty minutes ago, she realizes. Stiff and not terribly well-rested, but not exhausted the way she was the last time she unintentionally used Pippa's magic. And she can still feel the comfortable curl of that inside of her, nestled, as always, between her ribs. No, she has used her own magic, or mostly so, and she really feels none the worse for wear after that small spell. Closing her eyes, Hecate focuses on her powers, willing her magic to the surface. After what feels like a maternity, her fingers start to tingle. She curls them into loose fists and lets the magic rest there in the palms of her hands, bold and warm, with just a touch of Pippa's lightness ghosting at the edges. She cannot wholly separate her magic from Pippa's, but the bulk of it is her own. It's the first time she's actively felt her magic since the incident with the stone, and she honestly thinks she might cry. She meets with Ada, as she frequently does while classes are in session, and Ada isn't covering one of her potions lessons, informs her of the change, insisting that she is ready to begin teaching again. 
She can brew potions herself now, after all. And after that morning's brush with her magic, she strongly suspects that there is more than enough in her to deal with any minor crisis her students, Mildred Hubble included, can come up with. She won't be using it for simple tasks, of course, and it will be difficult, but it's been just a few days shy of a month, and she's going to go mad if she cannot be back in her classroom. They agree that she will start again Monday for a trial period, taking over the fourth and fifth year's classes again. She is, after all, best equipped to handle the upper-level classes, and Ada worries that throwing her back into the fray for full days of lessons is simply too much, and that she will let Ada know immediately if the task is too much, if she feels too drained. It is a compromise, but even Hecate cannot argue against the wisdom of it. Indeed, she finds herself grateful for Ada's concern. Hecate only just resists the urge to mirror Pippa to tell her. She doesn't know why she wants so badly for Pippa to know, to share this with her. No, no, she does. But admitting why is far too dangerous. Better to convince herself that it's a mystery. But she does. So she waits for Saturday, for Pippa's arrival. And when Pippa knocks on Hecate's door a bit earlier than expected, Hecate greets her with a shy smile. You said you can feel my magic, she says softly, holding out a tentative hand. I'd know it anywhere, Pippa says, her eyes dark with something Hecate cannot fathom. When she places her hand in Hecate's this time, there's no shock of magic between them, but there's definitely something. Pippa gasps in surprise free hand grasping blindly for Hecate's. Hecate twines their fingers willingly, and then the gasp is a grin of delight, and her lips around Hecate's cheek. The familiar feel of Pippa's magic slips into and through her, and for the first time Hecate feels something of her own slip out, her own magic tingling between their palms, as if drawn to Pippa by some unspeakable force. Strangely, she feels no loss on account of it. There's a foreignness to the sensation. But as an equal exchange, energy for energy, and Pippa's magic is just as at home inside of her as ever. Hecate feels as if every inch of her being aligns with Pippa's. What did I tell you? Pippa laughs, with gleaming eyes and a voice like peeling bells. Hecate cannot help but smile back lost somewhere in the depths of Pippa's brown eyes. Hecate has finally finished her inventory of the potion supplies, so they find other ways to pass the day. It's odd, spending so much time in Pippa's company. Despite the tenuous renewal of their friendship after the spelling bee, they have not had the time, or opportunity, or perhaps the will, to pass time like this. To meet for tea, for a few games of chess. Doing so now is satisfying in a way that Hecate could not have guessed. She enjoys it, regrets not making herself available for this sooner, and disavows the notion that she may regret any of it later. Pippa was always the better chess player, always better at looking ahead, 
at planning and revising her strategy, whereas Hecate has always been more direct, and bests Hecate at two games while they nibble at digestives and finished a pot of tea. A little before lunchtime, Hecate is forced to stand and move about, back rebelling against the movement after sitting in place for so long, and Pippa tentatively offers a massage. Hecate is not as sore as she was a few weeks ago, far from it, and Pippa gains confidence as she kneads at Hecate's stiff muscles, deftly finding trigger points with her thumbs and working at them carefully. They dine with the rest of the school for lunch, and Pippa is graciously dismissive of any student who seems too interested in her or her reasons for being there. Hecate has never noticed this before, but is grateful for it now. Hecate feels long past due for a stretching session by the time she is back in her room. Pippa's massage having only gone so far to alleviate muscles stiff from sitting still for so long. Hecate somewhat begrudgingly settles into her stretching regime, while Pippa is still there, unsure of just how much of her day-to-day -day life she wants to share with the other woman, when she has already shared so much. But Pippa, having planned to stay the night again, only changes out of her dress and into something more appropriate, and joins Hecate on the floor, moving easily, wordlessly, through a series of yoga poses while Hecate stretches. Hecate does her level best not to be distracted by the curve of Pippa's hips and thighs in fitted leggings, by the swath of slightly tanned skin where her camisole rides up, by the smattering of freckles across her shoulders and chest and back. Her level best is not quite good enough. Have you tried yoga? Pippa asks when she catches Hecate's gaze after a bit. Hecate shakes her head, focuses on her own body, tries not to look at Pippa. I hate it. Really? Oh, Hiccup, it's mostly just mindfulness. I'm mindful. And deep breathing. I breathe very well on my own. Pippa rolls her eyes. It could benefit you, you know. No, thank you. Pippa comes up to her knees suddenly, hands rested on her thighs, as she peers at Hecate. And then, with a challenging smirk, she says, One pose. I've tried more than one, Hecate grumbles eyes settling a moment too long on Pippa's collarbones and the notch between them. Cat-cow. Hecate groans. I hate that one. Yes, but you hate them all. That's not untrue. Did it hurt you? The temptation to lie is great, but Hecate only shrugs. No. Then you must have been doing it wrong. Hecate arches a brow and Pippa seems to rethink the statement, offers a self-deprecating little chuckle. Not that it's supposed to hurt. It's just... It's a good pose. She pauses for just a moment, and Hecate pretends not to see the expectant look. Well, go on. On your knees. Show me. Realizing that she isn't going to walk away from this one easily, Hecate hesitates for only a moment before sighing, 
and moving obediently onto her hands and knees. You need to start in the right position, Pippa says, hand landing on Hecate's back and making her stiffen with surprise. Concern lights in Pippa's voice when she asks, Did I hurt you? Again, Hecate hesitates for a moment. No. Okay, then. Bring your hands. Hecate moves obediently when Pippa's fingers brush her wrist. Good. And you have to engage your whole body, just like any other exercise. So press. Her hands dance across Hecate's shoulders. And again, Hecate obeys, pressing up and back, aligning her spine with her shoulders, pressed away from her ears and neck. There, Pippa says. Better already. Can you feel the difference? Hecate makes a non-committal noise. There's the barest edge of good-natured annoyance in Pippa's voice when she says, Fine, show me the pose. Hecate really does hate this pose, and she's certain it shows. More certain when Pippa tuts in response, her hand lighting on Hecate's back once more. You see, Hiccup, you're doing it all wrong, she says as if it's the most obvious thing in the world. You're getting to the end poses, but it's not just about the final poses. It's about the journey. It's all Hecate can do to keep from rolling her eyes. Here, Pippa says, unfazed, bringing her hands up toward Hecate's neck. You're not just arching, you're engaging. So do it, but slowly, just just follow my hand. Hecate isn't sure what that's supposed to mean, but she does her best. Arches slowly, engaging each vertebra as she does, barely managing not to shiver as Pippa's palm makes it weigh down her spine. There, Pippa's saying, one hand resting at the base of her spine, fingers of the other brushing the top of Hecate's sternum. Chest open, you see? And then the other way, slowly, hips first. Clenching her eyes shut, Hecate focuses on the curl of her back as she rolls up into a hollow position at Pippa's behest, following the long, slow movement of her hand until her chin is tucked in and she can feel the stretch of her spine. Better, Pippa murmurs. Hecate lets out a shuddering breath. Are you all right? Yes. Try again? Breathing with it this time? In? Hecate keeps moving, focusing on the movement of her body. Out. How does that feel? Hecate leans back into her haunches, glancing up at Pippa, who must not realize that her hand still rests on the small of Hecate's back. I can see the benefit. See, I told you. But I still hate it she finishes, because she doesn't actually know how she feels about the exercise itself, and because banter is, well, it's easy. Strangely, comfortably easy. Pippa rolls her eyes. Hecate manages a challenging stare before Pippa raises her hands in surrender, relenting. Fine, but I think you might find you like it if you tried. Unlikely, Hecate replies flatly. Well, now you're just being difficult. Perhaps. 
A bit later, while Pippa meets with Ada, Hecate takes a shower. Pippa returns with supper from the kitchens, and after they've eaten together in the privacy of Hecate's rooms, Pippa helps Hecate with her hair. Curls up beside her a while later with fingers tracing delicate patterns up and down Hecate's spine, trails of magic following her hand. Hecate does her best not to shiver, sighs at the feeling of warmth sinking into her skin. She wakes again to the weight of Pippa's hand on her back, lies still as Pippa's fingers curl and uncurl against her back while she dreams in the early light of dawn. Hecate arrives early to lay out ingredients for her fourth formers on Monday, and is surprised and annoyed at how long it takes. More surprising, and more troubling, is how much more the mere act of sitting or standing erect throughout the class hurts. She finds herself even more rigid than usual, shoulders impossibly tense, body aching for a hot bath well before the doubles class is over. She tells herself that this is part of the process, that it's been a month since she led a class, and that of course she's going to take some getting used to again. She stretches, long and slow, returns to careful exercises that have always helped with the back pain, and only just makes it through the first week. Pippa finds Hecate at her desk, with her head in her hands, neck deep in working and making little progress when she visits again on Saturday afternoon. Hand cramping from the effort of writing. How has she taken such a simple task for granted for so long? She resorted to magic for a while, but such uneconomical use of magic makes her apprehensive. Halfway through the stack, she had begun to feel the physical ramifications, proving that her misgiving was not unfounded. Come on, Pippa says, without any other form of greeting, a hand extended to Hecate. Tell me what's wrong. Nothing. I just have to finish this, Hecate mutters, shaking off the malaise to the best of her ability and picking up her quill. The mere act of gripping it gives her pause, however. She sighs, glancing furtively up at Pippa. The woman knows most of her secrets. What's one more? Writing, she grumbles, as if the very idea of it is an insult, unable to curb her annoyance. Pippa seems to take her meeting. She steps closer, and Hecate isn't quite sure what to do with the small smile she offers. Let me help, then. But first we need more comfortable seats. Pippa. Come on, Pippa repeats, before Hecate can quite gather her thoughts to argue. Just tell me what to write, and I'll write it. Hecate arches a brow at this, uncertain. Their methods are, well, they're different, to say the least, even without ever having graded with Pippa, or witnessed Pippa's teaching methods. She knows their opinions on this sort of thing are different at best. But grading does require impartiality at its core, so she sighs and places a hand in Pippa's, letting the other witch help her to her feet. Verbatim, she asserts, giving Pippa a meaningful look. Verbatim, Pippa agrees with a solemn nod. They settle onto the sofa, 
Pippa with a large tome in her lap to bear down on, and it goes well enough for the most part. Pippa manages not to make too many retorts to Hecate's sometimes acerbic commentary, and Hecate does her best not to be bothered by the looping, extravagant handwriting so different from her own spindly longhand. At first, Hecate just tells Pippa what to write, but soon it's apparent that the task is much easier if Pippa reads the students' answers aloud and allows Hecate to respond that way. Hecate makes no complaints over the arrangement. Pippa's voice is a comfortable thing, after all. She seeks the same comfort for her body, after a while, moving from her rigid position on the edge of the sofa to one with her feet curled beneath her, facing sideways, propped against a pillow. Oh, heckity, Pippa blurts suddenly. They're so, so close to being done. Hecate narrows her eyes. What? Is that really necessary? Verbatim, Hecate complains. You said verbatim. I did, I did, Pippa concedes with a nod and a breathy sigh. But do you have to be so... What? Pippa frowns. Hecate glares. So what, Pippa? Pippa seems to be struggling with what to say. So Hecate waves pointedly at the stack of papers, making a disapproving noise as she does so. It's bad enough that you dot your eyes at exclamation points with little hearts, Pippa. I need them to take me seriously. Pippa scoffs at that. My students take me quite seriously, Hecate. Do they really? Hecate demands, a bit more scathingly than she intends. The craft demands focus, labor, respect. Are you suggesting that my students don't have that? At the flare of anger in Pippa's voice, Hecate stiffens, staring past her. She doesn't know what to say, torn between not wanting to put her foot in her mouth and having just enough pride not to back down. She has made her bed, and she's going to lie in it. I have exceptional students, Hecate, and they take me precisely as seriously as they need to, Pippa says after a span, tone suggesting a conclusion to the argument, eyes fixed pointedly on the marking in her lap. And I'll stop dotting my eyes and exclamation points with hearts if you'll soften that last comment. Hecate swallows and sits in silence for a long moment, looks up only when Pippa sighs again, heavily. Fine, don't speak to me, Pippa says, pushing the papers aside to stand. I have to go. I can't stay tonight. There are just three more left. I'm sure you can make it through those on your own. Hecate bristles at the tone. She hadn't meant her silence as a dismissal. Her words as the start of a fight. Now, caught out and uncertain, she only glances balefully up at Pippa. Her stormy mood is unwelcome, but it is here, and frankly, it is more comfortable than most things. So she keeps her silence, offers neither rebuttal nor petty retort, and looks pointedly away as Pippa makes for the door. It doesn't take long to remember how much Hecate hates fighting with Pippa. She piles the finished marking neatly in the corner of her desk and makes her way down to dinner, massaging her hand the whole way, 
stormy mood lingering as she numbly eats a portion of the food on her plate. Ada, wisely, gives Hecate her space, though they sit side by side, including her in a conversation with Dimity without forcing her into it. And even Dimity recognizes, after a quip or two, that Hecate is not in the mood. If Ada keeps an unusually watchful eye on her, Hecate pretends not to notice. When she gets back to her rooms, she forgoes her entire evening ritual in favor of curling into bed, stiff and aching from sitting so long in one position during the day, but uncaring. If she hurts more tomorrow, she probably deserves it, after all. Before long, however, there's a light knock on the door, which she pointedly ignores. The knock comes again, a little louder, and then there's the sound of the door opening. Hecate? Ada. The door clicks shut, and Ada steps quietly into the room, flat silent on the large area rug, only the swish of her skirts indicating that she's near the bed. Hecate, you and I both know you'll regret going to bed like this, Ada reasons, lowering herself to the bed behind Hecate, but not touching her. I don't care. Ada sniffs. You do. You'll be miserable tomorrow, possibly even the next day. And you and I both know that you don't need to be in the classroom like that. You'll push yourself much too hard, and you'll be right back where you started. I can't let you do that to yourself, Hecate, so I'm going to start a bath for you. Hecate feels a rush of disgust with herself can't stand that she's inadvertently dragged Ada back into taking care of her. Hates that she needs anything from her at all. Lies there grappling with herself while Ada's weight shifts off the bed as the bath starts in the next room. She pushes herself upright with a groan, rubbing at the back of her neck, and a moment later Ada is beside her, hands folded in her lap. Are you all right, my dear? She asks gently. Fine, Hecate mutters automatically. Ada sighs softly beside her, a hand landing gently on Hecate's thigh. She pats her knee twice gently before withdrawing again. All right. You don't have to speak to me, Hecate. If you need time to yourself, that's fine. But do remember that I'm here if you need anything. Hecate glances up at her, manages to smile, only a little and uncertain, but Ada deserves more than that, far more, more than Hecate could ever begin to give her. Ada smiles back, as if she understands, and when she pushes herself to her feet, she offers her hands to Hecate for support. Despite herself, Hecate accepts the aid watches Ada circle around the bed to leave before making her way to the bathroom and the promise of a warm bath full of salts to ease the stiffness from her body. Pippa never makes it back to Pendangles. She had made it almost, almost halfway home, but instead found her way back to the Cackles grounds and up to Miss Cackles' office, near tears for reasons she can't quite explain to herself or her fellow headmistress. Ada knows Hecate best, 
is the only one who really knows what and who the Hecate Pippa has known as a girl has become. Pippa has been learning, but she trusts Ada's instincts, her judgment. So she had flopped helplessly into the seat across from Ada and promptly begun to cry. She doesn't like thinking about that. It was just a silly quarrel, really. But, but how could she stomp out of the room angry like that? Leaving Hecate like that had been petty, and she lied, too. She doesn't have anything pressing to do tomorrow. Could have stayed. Could still stay. And all because Hecate hadn't responded to her, hadn't answered, hadn't denied to argue or apologize or anything at all. But the truth is, while Pippa may prefer to confront things head-on, Hecate never did. It was a ridiculous expectation, not expecting her to respond, that's fair, she thinks, but expecting her to respond immediately while Pippa verbally bristled. She knows Hecate better than that, knows that she isn't one for confrontation if she doesn't deem it necessary, knows she is slow to speak, needs time to gather her thoughts, knows how heartbreakingly little Hecate values herself. Had it not been so close to supper time, Pippa would have more seriously considered going straight to Hecate. Really, she would have. But she couldn't very well just pop into the dining hall for supper and confront her in front of all of her students and fellow staff. And even showing up when Hecate thought she had left didn't seem like a good idea. So she had begged Ada to see how Hecate was, to ascertain her mood. Ada had conceded and left for supper, as Pippa curled into an armchair by the fire to wait. And after returning from supper, and from checking on Hecate afterwards, after reporting Hecate's state of mind to a fretting Pippa, Ada, being an intelligent and reasonable woman, had suggested that Pippa wait a while, give Hecate some time before going to see her, maybe wait till tomorrow maybe mirror her after going back to Pentangles. And Pippa, being somewhat less reasonable, and notably more hasty, had all but ignored the recommendation. Perhaps Ada's right, but they'll just have to see. But Pippa knows Hecate well enough to strongly suspect that mirroring won't work at all. If Hecate is as good as giving the cold shoulder as she was in school, she'll only ignore the calls. And frankly, Pippa doesn't believe that a distant, hands-off sort of affection is enough. She doesn't doubt Ada's affections for Hecate, not at all, and she knows her actions were meant to show care without seeming overbearing. But, well, Pippa will risk making Hecate's teeth itch and see where it goes. She's been doing that for weeks already. Hecate will either reject her, or she won't. And there's only one way to find out which. So she knocks softly at Hecate's door and slips quietly into the room to find it empty when she receives no answer. The light is on in the bathroom, the door ajar. So she knocks again, this time on the doorframe into the bathroom, and waits. Hiccup, she asks after a moment, pushing the door open a bit more. Can I come in? A beat. 
You know, she adds, sticking her head into the room, you'll have to answer me eventually. Hecate glances up at her, massaging her hand with the thumb of the other. I thought you left, she says quietly, lowering her gaze again. Pippa takes this as an invitation and slips into the room, pushing the door behind her. I did, she says softly. I came back. Hecate frowns slightly, air thickening in the wake of Pippa's words. She doesn't say anything. Actually, I landed a while ago. I've been with Miss Cackle, Ada, trying to work things out, really. She'd probably tell you I was sulking, if you asked. I was, probably, but, well. You, Hecate asks, tone dry. Sulk? Maybe brooding is a better word. That's worse. Pippa rolls her eyes, plopping down onto the toilet seat. Well, I don't like it when we fight. Hecate snorts softly, sinking the tiniest bit further down into the water. We've always fought, Pippa, she replies flatly. We've also always made up, Pippa replies pointedly. Then, sighing, she fidgets with the ring on her finger, dropping her face to gaze into her hands. We always did in school anyway. Then we didn't speak to each other for 30 years. And when I thought we were going to make up, we didn't really. And Pippa sighs, trailing off to glance tentatively up at Hecate, trying to gauge her mood. Hecate stares down at the bathwater. Taking a careful breath, Pippa continues to watch Hecate in profile. I never hated you, you know. She almost whispers. Not really. Not even when I most wanted to. Resented you, maybe. Hated what you'd done. But, well. She twists her fingers together. Swallows. I supposed I always loved you too much for that. Couldn't let go of my best friend, even when she wasn't my best friend anymore. Immediately after she says it, she wants to take it back. Not because of Hecate's reaction. No. A careful glance proves Hecate is still gazing blindly downward into her own hands. But because it feels so insincere. She does love Hecate. Always did. Loves her the same now as she did when they were girls. But understands it better now. Understands that it was never just friendship. That Hecate was never only her best friend. I do still love you, she says softly, nearly a whisper, hoping that it is enough, that it isn't too much, letting Hecate take what meaning from it she will. Pippa watches her carefully now, as her lips part, and she stiffens suddenly. For just a moment, she thinks maybe it was too much, that it was unwelcome, that she's overstepped her bounds. That Hecate has seen her for what she is, and wants nothing more to do with her, with their relationship, with any of it. Her heart thunders in her ears, and she begins to turn away. Then Hecate turns her face, glances up at her, and offers up the most tremulous of smiles. A delicate, tiny curl of her lips, 
just the one side of her mouth, followed by a thoughtful, somber look. I... She stops, drawing her lips into a tight line as just visible flush creeps up her neck and cheeks. Her eyes drift down to gaze into the water, and Pippa watches for a moment before averting her own gaze. The last thing she wants is to appear antagonistic or expectant in any way. How Hecate feels about her doesn't matter, so long as she is comfortable with Pippa being here, now. She never told Pippa she loved her, never returned a kiss, barely ever initiated contact of any sort. Pippa really doesn't expect her to start now. All she can really hope for is that Hecate won't push her away. I'm sorry for earlier, Pippa says to break the silence, and because it needs to be said. I'm not even sure it counted as a fight. You didn't exactly get a word in edgeways, did you? Hecate snorts softly, shakes her head just a little. No, no I didn't. Another span of silence passes between them, uncomfortable and heavy, as Hecate flexes her fingers, gaze unfocused. She glances up again at last, clearing her throat, lips struggling between a frown and a smile, manages to ask, help me out? Pippa smiles reassuringly back, standing and reaching out a hand. Of course. Two weeks after she begins teaching again, Hecate takes on the third-year potions classes, in addition to the fourth and fifth formers. The adjustment is no worse than the first, results in more cramping fingers and more careful sessions of stretching and strength training, but her body is stronger again, better. She tires still, aches still, weariness too easily without the full use of her magic. Indeed, the magic seems to slip away from her faster when she does use it. But slowly, she finds a new version of normal. That normal includes Pippa Pentangle, against all odds. She doesn't understand Pippa's dedication, her visits most weekends. Doesn't know why or how, after all these years, it should be that Pippa still cares so much. And yet, she is here, situated comfortably in Hecate's life. Here sharing her magic and her person, here with warm hands and gentle touches that make Hecate shiver if ever she thinks of them after the fact, here with a piece of herself, bright and warm and glowing, nestled sweetly between Hecate's ribs. A perfect reason not to expend too much magic as far as Hecate is concerned. Her spells favor her own power, naturally. It is what she was born with, the tool fit perfectly to her own hand. But with each spell cast, a tiny bit of Pippa's magic slips out too. And when it is gone, Hecate feels strangely empty. And Hecate burns through magic at an alarming rate, no matter who she cast with. She is tired of it, frankly and frustrated that she has to slip into her own lab between classes to set up for the next. In the days before the solstice and Yule celebrations, 
The school clamors with students hanging decorations, evergreen wreaths and fresh herbs, and white garlands throughout the corridors and main halls, and on doors. Hecate keeps away from it, does not have the energy reserves to be involved more than she must be. Besides, classes must continue. The solstice is on Saturday, so regular courses will not be interrupted for the celebration. She is in the lab, setting up for her next class, when heavy footsteps come clattering down the corridor. She rolls her eyes, raises her hand in front of her, and she remembers she does not have the power to transfer into the hallway to startle the rule-breaker with a sharp word. In the end, this doesn't matter, because Mildred Hubble careens around the corner and nearly collides with her. Mildred Hubble. Hecate isn't sure who is more startled. She does manage not to leap out of her skin when Mildred skids to a halt, but only just and Mildred's eyes are as wide as dinner plates. Oh, hi, Miss Hardbrope. I just forgot my notebook, she fairly squeaks, bouncing on her toes and glancing toward her usual seat. Yule decorations and everything, she adds by way of explanation. Hecate hasn't interacted much with Mildred over the past few weeks, has mostly only seen her at meals, but the girl's penchant for tardiness and absent-mindedness are hard to forget. Again, Hecate barely resists rolling her eyes. Mildred stands there bouncing, and Hecate realizes she's waiting for something. Anything. A dismissal, perhaps. So she sighs, waving her hand absently toward the student seats. Go, Mildred. Mildred skitters obediently off snatches a notebook off of the long table, and hops back down the steps again before coming to another halt, gazing quizzically at her in a way that makes Hecate's teeth itch. Yes. Mildred starts at that, clinging to her notebook like a lifeline. Well, Miss Hardroom, it's just... It's just class doesn't start for another twenty minutes, and... Your point, Mildred? I was wondering why, or what, I suppose. I am preparing for class, as you should be. Right, but don't you... Mildred trails off suddenly, looking thoughtful. Hecate bristles, doesn't like feeling like she's under a thirteen-year-old scrutiny. Mildred Hub... Oh. Hecate bites her tongue, for she likes even less being cut off when she's speaking. But Mildred glances down at the floor, and Hecate scowls at the top of her head for a moment, before Mildred begins speaking again, this time to her feet. I'm sorry, Miss Hardbroom, she mutters. I thought, well, I mean, you always just pop in, and poof! She spreads her hands in front of her as if casting a spell, finally looking up again, but not meeting Hecate's eye. Ingredients. And, well, I mean, I know you can't just pop in right now. What gave you that impression? I, well, cackles isn't cackles without you transferring around scaring students whenever they're getting into mischief, right? It's sort of chaotic without that. I mean, it's sort of chaotic anyway, but lots more when you're not doing that. 
I didn't think you'd stop doing what you've always done unless you, well, unless you couldn't. So, um, sorry if that's, honestly, Mildred's perceptiveness knows no bounds. Hecate thinks not for the first time since she's known her. She's excellent at problems dealing with people. If only her academic prowess were as remarkable. And perhaps if her perception were directed at someone other than Hecate. She purses her lips, staring at Mildred for a long moment. Mildred glances up, shrinking under Hecate's gaze, but doesn't look away this time. I could help, she says timidly, fidgeting. You could tell me what to get, and I'd... That won't be necessary, Hecate replies sharply. Momentarily cowed, Mildred bites her lips. I won't tell anybody, she mumbles with a shrug. Not even Maud and Enid. Hecate arches a brow, but instead of backing off, Mildred brightens. I've only had two dissensions since Halloween, she says, rather less like she's proud of herself from avoiding punishment than as if it's inspired some idea. Indeed, she follows it with, I'm sure you would have given me a few more. Hecate's eyebrows fly upwards, threatening to disappear past her hairline. Mildred doesn't give her time to wonder, just keeps prattling on. You always make me brew potions or do revisions during detentions. So just think of it as, um, makeup detentions. Honestly, the girl is far too cheerful for someone recommending theoretical punishments for herself. Undoubtedly, Miss Drill and Miss Cackle have been remarkably soft on you, Hecate observes dryly. But at this moment, you are wasting my precious time. Well, all the more reason for me to help, Mildred contends. Cheerful, but cautious now too, Hecate thinks. It occurs to her that... Not only would it be a bit easier on Hecate to allow Mildred to help, the arrangement would give Mildred one-on-one experience with each ingredient. Everything is painstakingly labeled in the lab, of course, but visual recognition of ingredients, whether plants in nature or other bits in the lab, is vital for a witch after all. It's a thoughtful gesture, one she is loath to accept particularly from a student, but there is a certain practicality to the whole notion. And she does not think that any embarrassment will come from the arrangement. Not really. She has a stack of eight handcrafted get-well cards with little sketches and watercolors of the grounds at Cackles, of cats and toads and bonfires and potions ingredients, bundled tightly in a drawer after all. Because Mildred Hubble may be terribly annoying, may test Hecate's patience almost every day of the week in some way, may even insist on finding increasingly new and more absurd ways of doing so. But she is a kind and thoughtful child. Hecate hesitates for just a moment, sizing Mildred up, then sighs. Fine, she says, ignoring Mildred's broadening grin. You will visually verify each ingredient before bringing it to the table, according to its label and its physical appearance and, where appropriate, odor. Again, Hecate ignores as Mildred wrinkles her nose slightly. 
and you will not use aiding me as an excuse to be late to chanting. You will arrive to your other classes on time. Is that understood? Yes, Miss Hardbroom. Very well. As you should already know, most ingredients are organized by alphabetical order. Leg of frog. Mildred nods emphatically, takes a step toward the storage cupboards, then pauses. Would that be under L or F, Miss Hardbroom? Hecate takes pause at that. She hadn't actually thought of it. Well, then. Very astute, she remarks, and Mildred spins to grin at her shyly. F. Frog. Parentheses. Legs. This arrangement may indeed work out in both their favors. Mule passes, and the next week. By the end of December, Hecate is teaching all of her potions classes again. And as January wears on, Hecate feels better. Slowly, surely, she recovers, uses her magic a little more. It still spills out too quickly when she casts, for reasons she cannot guess. And so she spends her time focusing, reteaching herself the art of control. Spells are easy enough, and the simplest to control. Spellless magic from summoning and banishing objects, to magically dressing herself, or bathing, or any number of things she's been doing so cavalierly since she was a teenager, leaves her drained, and transferring remains utterly impossible. She is stronger again, at least. Stretching has been a constant over the past two months, but she has only muddled through strength exercises. She uses her strength in different ways now, training muscles she did not know were untrained. She's grown accustomed to stairs, remembers what it's like to stir a particularly viscous potion by hand for an extended period of time. Consistent strength training works its way back into her routine now. Exercises she has never done, never felt the need to do, finding their way into her regimen. Mildred continues to help Hecate set up at least one class each day. She is never late to her potions lessons anymore as a result, and her practical performance actually seems to be improving slightly, Hecate notes. And Pippa continues to visit during the weekends, usually arriving late Saturday morning or early in the afternoon, sometimes staying the night. Ostensibly, she continues to visit because of the founding stone, to check in with the students and Ada and Hecate, to track the flow of magic through the very walls of the school, to research, to learn, to write. But often on Saturday evenings, Hecate falls asleep with Pippa's hand stroking her back, with the feel of her magic surrounding her, seeping into her skin, and sometimes Sometimes, of a Sunday morning, she wakes to a gentle weight against her back and a sleepy mumble, to Pippa nestled close to Hecate's side in the bed, like when they were girls, Pippa sneaking down the corridor after curfew to curl beside Hecate beneath the covers because she was lonesome or afraid, seeking out comfort at Hecate's side for reasons Hecate never wholly understood. Hecate remembers the nightmares. She has her own fair share of them now, when she sleeps deeply enough to dream. 
but her body is still attuned to Pippa's sleeping terrors. She knows this because she wakes one Sunday morning, pre-dawn twilight scattered across the sky, to a sense of stricture in the air that does not come from her own body. She is stiff, yes, but this is different, familiar, suffocating if she lets herself feel too much. She hears a whimper, rolls, can just make out the furrow of Pippa's brow in the semi-darkness, and Pippa mumbles a complaint, a string of no's, a whimper, an uncharacteristic twitch. Hecate shifts closer, as close as she can, all logic and self-preserving thought banished in the wake of Pippa's need, works her own aching body around Pippa's, tugs her close. Pippa, Pippa, she mumbles, swallowing to take control of her voice. It's all right, Pippa. I've got you. I'm here. I... Pippa gasps raggedly against her neck, her whole body jolting against Hecate's as she wakes. Hecate loosens her hold immediately, lest the touch become unwelcome. Hecate loosens her hold immediately, lest the touch be unwelcome. But Pippa makes a noise of complaint, following Hecate's warmth, leaning into her. Hiccup, she asks plaintively. Hecate drops her arm around Pippa's body again, pulls her closer despite the ache. It's me, Pipsqueak. It's me. It was just a dream. I've got you. I've got you. A heavy sigh gusts against her neck, sends a chill down Hecate's spine. Hiccup, Pippa repeats, relief and weariness edging her voice. Hecate rubs her thumb against Pippa's shoulder and holds her until the sun breaks through the clouds.